Hello, I'm Zach Robichaud. And I'm Jackie Mignot. You're listening to The Podcast Made Flesh. Conversations about an embodied faith. We are coming to you from self-isolation, Zooming with people to talk about the incarnation. We're not reporters or experts, but we are questioners. And we are on a quest to have a conversation around the central Christian belief that God became flesh. used to push this narrative that um, God used people with disabilities to punish other people for their sins. So if a couple had a child that was born with a disability, then people would assume, oh, well, that couple probably did something. They probably sinned, so they are suffering the consequences or that they're a cursed child. This is about how we are interconnected and meant to. And I always love like the quick answer is we're all here because our ancestors were connected to other people. Hmm. Right? In the end, we survive as human race because we depend on each other. One of the things we get to do on this podcast is talk to people who are more knowledgeable, more experienced, and um, more well-read than we are in many different areas. Mm. And this is no exception. Uh, today, we are talking to Kara Milne and Robin Garrido. Um, both have chosen to pursue careers uh, working with uh, people with disabilities and communities uh, of people where there are people with disabilities and it's fascinating um, just to hear their perspective um, and just to see how far society has come and how far there is still to go and it's uh, I was caught in the frustration of that tension like why can't we already be there but then also recognizing the challenges and uh, the beauty of that struggle Oh, that's so good. We um, just so you know, we had a listener uh, write in and and talk about well, what would it be like to to live in a disabled body? Um, responding to the episode we had on embodied experiences, women's embodied experiences, and so we hope this is a, in some ways an offering of yeah, like like Zach said, a window into something that not all of us know a lot about how to create communities for every body involved. Um, one thing I'll just draw your attention to, Kara talked a lot about personhood, which really caught, captured me. And so I've been thinking about what it doesn't mean to be a person and that God creates persons um, in, in all their wholeness. So yeah, we hope you uh, engage in this conversation as well. My name is Kara Milm. I, uh, I have always been working in the disability field, went to school for it, ended up being a post-secondary instructor out in Lethbridge full-time for a long time. And then from there, as God provided, started my own company. Um, and that's been around for almost 17 years. It's as old as my oldest child. So they were born at the same time. Um, and so since then, um, my world has consisted of both teaching post-secondary, but also traveling all over Canada, talking about community building. And um, my heart always talks about how do we build community for people with disabilities? 
So that's really been kind of the work I've done for the last 17 years is just sharing stories, listening to staff and families, but then trying to help them look at where community is and how we can better build that up. So, so my name is Robin Garrido. I'm 21 years old and I'm a student at U of C. I'm currently enrolled in community rehab and disability studies, and I'm going into my third year next year. I currently work with kids with disabilities in a respite program um, that's after school and on weekends. So that's what I usually do outside of school. And I got into this field. Actually, I feel like this field found me. I was researching um, what I wanted to do after high school, and then I came across the program and I thought this is so interesting. I didn't know it existed. I did more research on it and I ended up loving the idea of it and I enrolled, thankfully got accepted. And I did practicums there and I loved the practicum. So ever since I kind of got a taste of what it's, it's like to work with people with disabilities, I started loving it more and more. Well, so I guess I kind of want to start right at the beginning. When we say disabilities, what are we talking about exactly so you're working in a disability the disability field what is that is there a, a good definition so we kind of are all on the same page or how we imagine that to be i think it can vary um obviously it's kind of fun that rob and i have the similar background she just a, a step behind me but um i think you know what i would encompass that is that um adults or children who might need a little bit of extra help. So that could include a physical disability, that could include a developmental disability. Um, uh, I think what's interesting is once you start to um, work with people who may be vulnerable, might need a little bit of extra help in a variety of ways, whether that's every day or a little bit once in a while, you start to realize that the actual um, categories of it don't matter as much anymore. Mm. So um, it might be that you are going to connect with someone who has autism. It might be that you have a neighbor that uses a wheelchair. But in the end, those details don't seem to matter quite as much once you start really just seeing people. Mm. Um, Robin's fresher out of school than I am, but that's kind of how I would look at it. Mm. Um, from what I've been taught, now is the time to use terminology. <laughs> um, <laughs> Usually, yeah, what we've been taught is that impairment is um, the physical aspect. So, like Karen mentioned, like um, the developmental um, disability or um, the physical one. But then we usually use the term disability um, when it comes to the world around us. So, how our environment might limit someone because mm -hmm. of their impairment. So... That's how we try and use the terms usually in class. But like kind of Kara said, it's it's pretty vague. Like it's usually someone who needs a little more help with certain things. Mm. Yeah, I like I liked what you said there, Kara, about um, like after a while, like it just doesn't matter because you're dealing with a person and they're they just have different needs than we do. So I think I think, you know, as Robin's probably learning and seeing, I think the biggest obstacle is not ever really disability. It is stereotype. It yeah. is a preconceived and often incorrect view of people, their abilities, their gifts, their talents and their personhood. Um, and so 
many times the field is actually based on just helping people be seen. I would say it's like you want the personhood to be raised and the stereotype to come down. And our job is just continuously push that balance better. Um, but yeah, and it comes with time. But what, mm. what, okay, so what do you do to do that, to elevate personhood and lower yeah. stereotype? Um, in the work that I talk about, it's, it's that hence community building. Um, the first one is, um, people need to be known. So, um, my quick story, if that's okay to share, mm-hmm. um, as I see Robin and think of where I was, but I actually got in the field by accident. Um, I registered in the wrong class in university. No. So yes, I... never met anyone with a disability in my life, had never heard of the program, I was actually planning to be something totally different and I registered in the wrong class and it was a community rehab class. It was with one of the amazing instructors that I think has just recently left there. But, and I was like, literally like, Oh, what am I doing here? This is not for me. Like, I don't, I don't do this. And it was a practical experience as well. And I was, um, I met, I was assigned to swim with some kids in a pool and it was the first time I'd ever really met up connected to someone with a disability and at first I was like, oh, I, I don't know that this is for me. But within like the first hour, he, this little boy just teased me like crazy. And he was so great. And I always say like, you just, it's just one person. I got to know him. He was interesting. And, um, you know, I just all of a sudden was curious and thought, well, I could take the next class and um, ended up transferring my degree. And I always say like, I literally have this job because of one little boy. Uh-huh. I met one kid. Yeah, uh-huh. super cool. Um, but it's, I mean, it's both divine and lovely, right? But in the mm-hmm. end, so my answer is that it's not about, um, oh, I study disability, therefore stereotypes come down, although that can help and yay for education. But I think it's more about I've met mm-hmm. one person and that one person reminds me of their personhood and thus mm-hmm. I am able to connect. Mm. What... Um... I mean, we could just start, like, what kind of stereotypes are we talking about? Like, what do you, what are people facing when someone is stereotyping them? I think um, one that we've talked about quite a bit is one called super crip, that either a person with a disability is someone that you should pity and, oh, poor them, or the super crip is someone, for example, a like um, Terry Fox, who, oh, they only have one leg and imagine like all the running he did. And that's amazing. And so you kind of put them on this pedestal that, wow, like even though um, they have this disability, they can do this. And so it's kind of like one extreme to the other. Mm. Um, And I think a lot of it is just looking at people. um, They, we just look at their disability and not who they are. We just, you know, focus on like, I guess that's why we use people first language now. So that the focus isn't like, oh, a blind person, it's a person who is blind. Um, So I think a lot of it has to do with just their disability just kind of consumes their identity. And we just look at that and don't bother getting to know them more. And yeah, from what I've seen at practicums and um, other places in my life, like that's very common. So Mm. Or that they're childlike, that we treat them as children as well. Robin, did you have an experience where you met the person and that helped kind of take apart maybe some of the stereotypes that you had or maybe, you know, have less now of? (laughs) But 
Um, I think that I have, I did meet this one person and I had no idea they had autism till way later on um, when they mentioned it to me. And I thought, oh, like I was not aware, like I didn't, yeah, it, it was just shocking because, you know, I just got to know them like anyone else. And I was like, well, you can't even tell. So there's disabilities that people have that are not visible. And hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I feel like sadly, I probably would have treated them differently if I had known they had autism. So I'm kind of happy that, hey, like I got to know them in a more genuine way instead of being more, you know, guarded and being like, oh, they have autism. I probably should you know, like tiptoe around this and that. So I think they appreciate when you just treat them like anyone else. And I think yeah, the, to add, ahead, no, yeah, to add to Robin, I think like I always say, the greatest gift we can give people is high expectations, mm. right? Like pres- presuming competence, but more so high expectations. I think, I think our communities and the disability community as a whole would actually even be doing better as if people as a whole would have higher and high expectations not not um, impossible expectations so this isn't about not supporting people or not uh, meeting needs that's different but to Mm. expect have expectations I think is a gift wow yeah that says a lot to their personhood and their agency and what they have as a creation Mm -hmm. (laughs) to offer when you expect that um so as far as expectations, like expectations in their abilities, because that all of a sudden now we're now we're moving, we're defining personhood by what a person can do. And so if we hold ex- mm-hmm. high expectations uh, uh, for abilities or performance, um, I think we're we're defining personhood in, in a wrong way. So can we clarify like what mm-hmm. the expectations would be to for personhood i think i think to be clear that i actually don't think they're connected um i I mean i i understand what you mean like i think respect is connected right so if i see and respect someone's um and then so respect to be connected i think the idea of high expectations is is the belief that people people are capable of doing their best That doesn't mean it is my best or your best, but their best. And I think that's, so to clarify, what what does expectation mean is not based on an average or getting the the score that everyone else gets, but I think it's about high expectations of what I can accomplish personally. So my, my expectations of myself are different than what my husband would do. So even in that uniqueness alone, but I think yeah. disability allows space for that too. So just to be clear, that yeah. is, no, and, does that help? And, and yeah, That's because great. I think like every, like there are aspects of personhood that we've kind of commodified that shouldn't be aspects. Maybe I'm saying that backwards. We've commodified aspects of ourselves and kind of defined ourselves that way. And I think yeah. that's exacerbated the problem of, you know, people with disabilities now can't compete in that market as we've defined personhood kind and of success of, in, in, yeah. as success. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I think, I think a simple example is, you know, um, schools are amazing and doing lots of good work, but occasionally sometimes kiddos with disabilities get, um, 
um, maybe lost or so I have connections of kids. Yeah. Um, kids who are in high school and they're learning how to iron. And my heart is just like, I feel like we can, can do better. Hmm. Not, not saying that we can't learn lots of skills, but we could also learn math to the best of their ability. We can learn writing to the best of their ability. That might not be the same as another grade 11 child. So that it's not about comparison, but it's just an expectation of learning and growth as a whole. Hmm. Yeah. That's good. I, I feel like I get a, even a better, um, understanding of where you guys are coming from, from that. I want to kind of shift gears and talk about like, how do I say this? Um, where is God in this? How does, um, the way God creates humans, how do you see that? How does that fit? What words would you put to that? Um, and then maybe we can move into what does the community of, of followers of Christ, what does that look like? And how does that, how, how does that inform this conversation? Hmm. Um, well, I think back to, um, and it's sad because in a few of my courses, we've talked about um, how people with disabilities have been seen in the past. And many times it's come up where um, people used to push this narrative that um, God used people with disabilities to punish other people for their sins. So if a couple had a child that was born with a disability, then people would assume, oh, well, that couple probably did something. They probably sinned. So they are suffering the consequences or that they're a cursed child. And in more than one course, I've heard that. And it's really sad to think like, oh man, like was the church pushing this, this story out for a while? And I obviously don't believe that is what God does. I don't think they are a product of sin or um, a curse. I do think there are um, disabilities that are because of human error, such as pollution or abuse that that it can cause disability, but I don't think, yeah, I definitely do not think they're a product of sin. I think God makes everyone in different ways. We're all, we have different skin tones, different features. So I think why not, why can't we have different physical forms or different ways of thinking? So um, yeah, that's what I just think that I think it's, I think we're all just God's children and I don't think he sees us differently in any sense. I think to, to add to Robin, um, my experience working with families forever has been that is actually a current still story. So currently today, kiddos born um, with a disability or a child being diagnosed with autism, the family will say here something like, you did not pray enough. Wow. Or I could pray that differently. So it's a, it's just, um, I think to be all, both honest and gentle in this statement that the church has sometimes really pushed away families with children with disabilities or family members with disabilities based on a model of sin and guilt. And it's Mm. such a shame. It's such a huge loss for our church communities. It's such a, it's not, it's not at all what comes from um, 
you know, this, 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 like Jesus's story, but it Mm. is a real, it's important. I think it would be disrespectful if we didn't address that families are going to listen to this, who are attending a faith community. I guarantee you, guarantee you, they've all had a story many times where someone Mm. has come to them and said, I think I could pray that autism away or I could, or did you do? Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's important to address that in, in our conversation. Um, beyond that, I think, you know, oh, just, to, just before yeah, you, please. I mean, what I don't understand is there's an actual story in the gospels oh, yeah. of, you know, Jesus's disciples saying, so was it his sin or was it his parents sin that caused him to be blind or crippled or whatever it was that, yeah. and he's like, no, <laughs> No, you don't get it there. No, wrong. And, and yet yeah. we still have the propensity to lay blame and not even recognize that maybe there's actually nothing wrong yeah. or sinful. Like, oh, it's it's fascinating. One in so this is like show one in four families in the, are connected to someone with a disability. So one in four. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean a child with, but certainly connected to a family member with. Um, and um, they show that most of those four families are not attending a faith community because they're told and are shown that they don't belong there. Wow. So there's another podcast for another day. But it's, yeah. a, huge, it's a huge area. It's a huge area of um, pain, I think, mm-hmm. for a lot of families to feel like that um, their children or themselves are not included um and obviously something i work towards and i've no doubt robin has a heart for too just like it's it's a huge huge area and a huge need yeah well it seems to me to speak to and this is kind of what like the a bit of the question i do want to dig into like how we have an idea of what god intends and if it doesn't look like that then it must be sin or it must be evil or it must be mm-hmm. God must want to fix it. So I will, we will pray this or that or that. And it shifts. If you stop think, if you stop saying, no, I don't know if that's um, like, what if this is how God did intend this to this person in this, in their whole beingness um, that shifts how we view God's perfection or God's mm-hmm. intention to something a bit broader than yeah. a narrow definition of humanness. I, I think like, which to be clear, like I am no, God, I'm a community builder. No, so like, let's just good. My, I love it. But, but in the end, my answer is to people when they ask me, I always say is like, we talk about being perfectly made, but what if our human version of perfect is wrong? Mm. So like if we have this belief of like, Oh, what is perfectly made look like when, when Jesus looks at this group of people, he's like, no, they're all perfectly made, but not, not through the eyes of my human brokenness. Um, and you know, like I think of kiddos, I know, like just, um, my daughter today was talking to, um, one of it's her cousin and friend and they were talking on the phone so I could hear them on speakerphone and, um, you know, Tess just is hilarious and she's in she's a community builder and she um, also happens to be in part of her story have a developmental disability but when I listen to that and I listen to her voice and all the gifts that she has I think how is that not just perfectly 
made. So like, right, my struggles just maybe aren't so obvious, but they are just as real. Just not about that we all have struggles, we all have gifts, more just the idea about what is even perfectly made and what if we're actually designed as we're supposed to be. What if that, what if we actually just don't even think of it as a fault, but actually just this is how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And then the the word disabled has way more to do with, like you kind of said at the beginning, how the outside world holds that person. And so then they're labeled disabled because mm-hmm. the outside world can't handle or isn't built for that yeah. sort of aspect of their humanness. But there's so much of that built into everything, right? If someone has money, they're going to be viewed as one way. If someone's beautiful, like I think of beautiful people, they must have it rough because no one expects anything from them except their beauty, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, wealth or if they're brilliant, uh, whatever, like there's, it all. it's always the outward thing. And if we could just kind of set that aside, not it's not a bad thing, but to set that aside and come back to that personhood thing. And that, that's what I was kind of getting at at the beginning. Like what defines personhood? Um, how, how, what do we want to elevate there? And to, for me, it's, it's things like kindness and a good sense of humor and um, empathy and like all of these good things that I actually recognize in people with disabilities way more. Like they're actually. Yeah, I think so. But I will just push you to say, I actually sure. think the human side is actually the imperfection side too. So people who aren't very nice, don't have a good sense of humor, don't have good, like I actually, which I think Robin would, her heart probably is like, let's just not again, like watch the idolization of people. Cause it's in the yeah. end, like the one I fully respect people is to be like, love this about them and they're cheap. <laughs> right or yeah, yeah, yeah. love this part about them they have no fashion sense or yeah. like I think that is the full well-roundedness of humanhood or personhood is not it is gifts for sure like obviously that's a huge part of it but I'm always yeah. like the first one to be thrilled when someone says to me met someone with down syndrome and actually they were kind of a jerk and I'm like yes <laughs> yes great they're a full person because yeah and that's yes so yeah. that I think th- I think that in lies the greatest gift for people is to be seen in their whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's actually really powerful and um, meaningful in all parts of this conversation. I, when we're talking, this the the phrase our theology um, kind of dictates our anthropology. So what we hold to be true about God and what we think about God kind of then plays out in how we treat others. And this is one of those maybe situations where that um, is seen, obviously. Um, well, let's go to like the question of questions of how we build communities. Cause we were talking about how in the past, even church communities and maybe especially church communities do not create spaces where then um, people with disabilities and families with people with disabilities in them are included in a meaningful way in the community. What, what do we do? How does that happen? What does um, an inclusive community look like? Um, I wish I knew better because I, I find that um, I don't really see people with disabilities at church or 
Um, even at school, I rarely see classmates. I thought maybe at uni I would see more, um, you know, students with disabilities. They may have non-visible disabilities, but I, I don't really see people, yeah, at my church, I don't really see people with disabilities. So I am not really sure how, um, how to do that. I, like Kara mentioned, I think there is that stigma um, within Christians that, oh, if you have a child with disabilities, yeah, you did something wrong or you didn't pray enough while you were pregnant or, um, so I think getting rid of that is probably a good step in, you know, clarifying like, no, that's, it has nothing to do with what you did or how much you mm -hmm. prayed or how much faith you had. Um, I think that's a big step in churches. Um, maybe even making buildings more accessible is another simple, another simple thing. I've noticed that yes. like now that I'm in this program, like, I'm like, wow, this is really not accessible. Um, mm. so yeah, just making sure like, Hey, that people can at least get into the church would be a good start. I love it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's super hard. It's, um, I've spent a career answering that question. Mm -hmm. so that's what I do for work is like literally ask that. And I think Robin's point is valid is just like, we're not finished. Mm. The work is happening and it isn't what it could be. And we're missing out. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's helpful. One of the things I talk about um, in my own training is talking about how do I know when I belong? So I think what I would pull back, if it's okay, just mm -hmm. that's just my yeah. context is it's actually in the end community buildings for everybody. Just yeah. surprise for all three of you. Yeah. What's that? Say that again. Community build community <laughs> building is for everyone. Oh yes. Yes. <laughs> and so it's everywhere, right? It's not actually a disability conversation. The unique side and like obviously what Robin's hope is to have a career based on looking at it through the lens of disability and how we support people and families. But in the end it's actually just the same information. It's just we need to sometimes be more creative. But um so how do I know when mm -hmm. I belong is and I often talk about, are you noticed, are you known, and are you missed? So how do you know if you belong? And so, you know, noticed, no one missed. So noticed, you know, my look at my face, do you look at me? Mm. So um, that's not just, again, a disability conversation, but are there students at school that show up and nobody looks at them? Um, people within church communities where people show up and nobody smiles when they walk in. Noticed, known, do you know my name? Mm -hmm. um, do you not just know me, but know my name and then miss me, miss me when I'm gone. So very basic idea. But the idea being then is we can look at that in so many ways. Are you noticed, known and missed on your street? Hopefully all of you are. Although I'll be calling. Um, are you noticed, known, missed at work? Are you noticed, known, missed in your faith communities? And then the question just leads to how are we known no, knowing and missing people who um, might struggle to connect a little bit more. So yeah. I just, I don't know, it sounds like a simple solution, but mm -hmm. I think we can get caught in like, how do we belong? And I think sometimes we just have to start at the beginning. We have to just begin with the simple, like remembering that someone waved at me. I don't know about you guys right now, but I mean, pandemic's a whole entire different series but in the end what's happening is you walk anywhere and what happens now i don't know what you guys find but Everyone's yeah waving yeah they're waving Everyone's now not that, like yeah. we're not like trying to snuggle in but there's mm -hmm. eye contact way mm -hmm. more 
part of it is like, what side of the street are you going to be on? Yeah. <laughs> but it's actually more than that. It's like a yearning for people. And so we, there's a respect, there's an acknowledgement. I see you. I know you're coming down this side. I see you and your family and a smile and a wave. Um, I, that's community. Mm-hmm. Whether yeah. we thought we had the membership or not, like, I think it's there. And then what about, then my question would always be for staff is then, or families. And what about our kiddos with disabilities? How are we helping them with that? Right. This is related, I think, to community. I live in an intentional community and there's an interdependence between the members of the community. In my sense, uh, I mean, my experience with, with people with disabilities, um, you know, at 16, I was uh, volunteer, well, working at a summer camp and each summer we had one week blind camp. And so you know, here I was oh, 16, dear. 16 years old, and I had seven blind men that I had to kind of be the counselor for, right? The camp counselor. And it was a blast. I mean, we just had mm-hmm. so much fun. And we had people with, you know, a wide range of disabilities in addition to blindness. But it was always the highlight of the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did that for seven years, seven summers. Um, and then students with, you know, a wide range of disabilities as well. Um, but what I found is that well, what they taught me was that ability to ask for help when they need it, mm-hmm. receive help, and just depend on someone else. So that that autonomy that we celebrate, that independence that we celebrate in our culture, um, they show us another way. Mm-hmm. And and like that's one of the things that I've really valued without, you know, stereotyping every person with a disability that way. But that's I mean, that's mm-hmm. something that I've learned. And I'm like, well, yeah, they they have to ask for help in this. And I also have to ask for help mm-hmm. in a lot of things, you know. Um, can you share, I don't know, stories or your experience in that? D- does that resonate? I see you're, you nodding. Kara so that's that's encouraging (laughs) by the way I'm also happy to play the fool so push back on anything I say at least I'm here to illuminate things by saying the wrong thing (laughs) I do love that you use the word interdependence because I think no one really uses it we either say oh this person is dependent or independent and there's so much like this push that for people with disabilities that we have to make them independent, independent mm-hmm. as much right. as possible. And I mean, no one's independent, like you said, mm-hmm. like I definitely still depend on my family and friends, like all of us depend on each other. So I think interdependent is the perfect word because um, yeah, like none of us are independent in the end. So mm-hmm. I think that's great that you use that. Mm. And I think just to encourage that, like, in the end, I do believe both biblically and physically we're designed to live in community. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's introverts that might read this, like, hear this, I guess, and be like, well, but that it's not about introverted, extroverted. It's just about human nature. Just, um, I mean, I, I ironically, as a community builder, like, professionally, I study loneliness. Mm. So my my books, like, if you look at my bookshelf, it's super depressing, it's like loneliness, isolation, because there's like you, so we won't get into that, but that's what I, like you study what happens to your body and your mental health in isolation and loneliness. Mm. And then in turn, you are like, whether that, that's not an extroverted, introverted issue. That's like a health issue. That's a human nature issue. Mm. And 
this isn't about I have a thousand friends and I have a party every Friday night. This is about how we are interconnected and meant to. And I always love like the quick, quick answer is we're all here because our ancestors were connected to other people. Mm-hmm. Right? In the end, we survive as a human race because we depend on each other. Yeah, I would I would actually like you to say a little bit more about isolation yeah. and because you, you mentioned like it affects the person. It affects their body. It affects yeah. all of them. It's, and I imagine that a lot of people with disabilities. Lonely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually would say um, loneliness is the issue. Mm. The, the issue is um, loneliness across the lifespan, which yeah. is both heartbreaking and hard. And yet we can actually start somewhere with that. We can, I believe it's something that we can do. It's not actually supports. It's not health. It's loneliness and isolation. Um, And um, yeah, I mean, for sure, just to summarize, in the end, we are like, it physically affects your body, your health, your mental health, isolation. And what does that look like for different people? But um, that it is, you know, the, um, when we break things down is, um, unfortunately, I think our field, the disability field has grown and changed where we haven't been around forever, right? There, there wasn't supports for people with disabilities a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. uh, especially here within the Canadian culture. And so we thought we were doing good work by trying to begin to provide services. And that's, we did, we did made some mistakes, um, which is another podcast for another day. But um, <laughs> part of that is believing that service provision will meet all needs. Right. So unfortunately what's happening now just to bring us up to speed is what you have is a paid professional coming in to meet all needs of one person. And that paid professional might be helpful, but they're not enough. Mm. Um, And just to get current example, um, as I see, uh, but I just think like schools. So we have, um, I train teachers assistants assistants. So my job is to make sure teachers assistants understand their job, which, so I, I'm a believer of them and the importance of them and happen to have a kiddo that gets help from teacher assistants. So, but what I think the fear comes, and so this is the key of isolation, is the professional comes in, helps child A with math and LA, um, but becomes their only connection, and they're paid. And it's, so it's not, it's not the same. It doesn't mean they're not great. So just, yeah. it's not about taking them away. I'm not saying we're like, and pull all of those out of the class because my child won't do well. Other kids won't do well. Teachers won't do well. Mm-hmm. What I'm talking about is the, what happens is we believe we've solved that and it right. becomes, that's not my problem. So what happens is we have a culture that says, well, the, that professional's involved. Robin's come in. She knows what she's doing. So the three of us are like, we don't have to help our neighbor anymore. Robin's mm-hmm. there. And Robin's like, yeah, I'm here for parts of their check life. check out at five. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not here forever. Mm-hmm. And I'm not actually wanting or needing to meet all needs. And so um, loneliness has spurned worse because the community has believed that professional supports are the only thing necessary. Yeah. And so thus we have a lot of lonely kids and a boatload of adults who are super isolated. And of course, isolation leads to a lack of safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isolation, right? Not just physical health yeah. now, but I'm talking like actual Abusive. safety. Yeah. Abuse, yeah. neglect, mm-hmm. right? I always say we're never safer when we're isolated, nameless. Maybe I, I could go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll pause. yeah, to add to that, um, when I was volunteering with a senior 
um, and he was legally blind and he was very lonely. I, I think that was one of the few people that he would interact with. And I, he would tell me that he was sad, that he never sees his daughters anymore, that he's like, I'm the only person that really visits him. And he always like looks forward to seeing me because I'm that connection. And there was a while where I just felt like so overwhelmed because I felt like I had to fulfill those human connections. And it kind of gave me burnout because I thought, okay, I should call him constantly. Mm -hmm. I should probably check in on him. And I felt almost guilty if I didn't, because I thought, well, if he doesn't see me, then he's going to feel lonely. And so that's, it's very unhealthy also for the service workers, because I feel like we also put that on ourselves to, you know, make that person happy, even though we can't do that for them. We can't be there constantly for them. So yeah, it, it can be overwhelming and it's emotionally, like it, it's emotionally exhausting as well. For everybody. Mm-hmm. So just to be practical on this, my like little thought, like if we're thinking of faith communities, let's say a faith community has a kiddo who's going to need some extra help in Sunday school. Um, for sure. Let's make sure that there's some extra help. My fear is that that really well-intentioned volunteer or helper will A, pull the child out of the class that they're supposed to be in with their peers and or B, take over so much that the kids within their class don't connect with him or her. Mm-hmm. And we we think we're helping though. That's that's mm-hmm. the problem. If if it's not about a bad idea, but um, part of the work that I do is just reminding people, you can be there as part of the team that helped. It's not about saying like, off you go, good luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think mm-hmm. we think we're helping when we've actually left them lonelier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because in a way it's, yeah, it's getting in the way of normal, is that the right word? Or how organic community, how it comes about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for kiddos that already struggle to connect Mm -hmm. socially, it just is, it just works. And I have no doubt all of you could think of kids right now that you're like, they are lonely. But, But it's also an indictment of the church. Like I see these people once a week. I'm not really connected to them. You know, mm-hmm. we join together to pray. I mean, there are, there are better church communities and all of this, but yeah. you know, and I, I, the people Be- I go talk to. And, better than know, ours, Zach? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, no, no. We are, we have the best church, Jackie. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, they sit in Sunday school, like my kids know the names and they chat a little bit with the other kids at church, but like, it's not, they're not their best friends. Like it's, it's, but it's, it's a very, but it's not but about, okay, so I'm going to pull you. It's not about best friends. It's about, no, it's, sure. That's different. But community, community is someone, community is some, somewhere where you are going to be interdependent. So I can go and depend on that person. Like they are the person that I'm going to, Hey, let's go to a movie or let's go have a beer or, you know, like yeah. th- those are the people in my community. So I would, I would challenge you on that one. So just because this is what I study all the time, I would just, the flip between community and friendship. Mm. Okay. So I totally agree. Like friendship is we're going for a beer. Sounds fun. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. We could talk about math and physics. Yeah. That's friendship that develops over time based on people who I've slowly connected to. You don't become friends like instantly, very few, right? It comes right. over time. What I'm talking about is the bigger sense of community where my notice 
missed, known, missed. Who knows my name? Who notices when I'm not there? That is a different conversation. And for there are people, many people, who community is it. There are no friendships. Mm. So you have both. You can compare and contrast the difference between friendship and community. Mm -hmm. There are lots of people out there, and not always just in the disability field. I just want to be very clear. There's lonely people without necessarily an obvious disability. But Mm -hmm. I just think, I just think what we've, we have to be very careful not to put expectations of community and compare the two. They're very different entities, and we need them both. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. Do you think that in 30 years it'll be like, so we've been able to provide community, but these people are still lonely? I think over time, what happens is humanhood steps forward, and all of a sudden I'm like, Jackie's awesome. And I see her at church every Sunday. But you know what? I wonder I wonder if, if I called her, if we could just chat for a minute. I bet you if I texted her, she'd follow me on Facebook. And over time, on a Friday, I bet you if I said, hey, I have a bottle of wine, I bet she might come. She might not. She will. She, will. she might not. <laughs> or, but my point is, relationships come yeah over time that's that's an earth thing for some people there. if but you, you don't like in still start i just think yeah. to disrespect the value of community and i think my point is just with your kids if you're talking about yeah you're right for your boys or for your the connection with your children with in their sunday school class um they might just be like hey hey how you doing but one day they might look and be like i didn't know that you liked this too mm-hmm. i like that too yeah. I didn't know that your dad has a beard. My dad has a beard. I didn't know that. My dad has a bigger beard than your dad. Look at that. <laughs> I didn't know. I, I, I take the point, but it just, it still seems that there can still be a lot of isolation. I mean, I, 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 I think it's oh, absolutely sure. a step in the right direction. Um, yeah. So I, I guess the question would be, what would open someone's heart within community to then extend friendship or desire friendship with a person that up until now may have been a very difficult friend to have. Does that make sense? Is that a, is that a fair question? (laughs) Like we, we've made, you know, we, we've improved accessibility. There's still a long way to go. So, I have a friend in a wheelchair. If I want to go for a beer, there are, you know, 80% of the places that I would go for a beer, she can come to, right? Um, so that that's a very simple example. But someone who flies into a rage um, or has, you know. Yeah, there, is, there are people that is nonverbal like like yeah it's hard it's hard work people that are very Mm -hmm. difficult to be friends with yeah well i would just say there's people sometimes it's just hard to get to know um and so Mm -hmm. absolutely like there there's no doubt like i i mean robin is currently in a degree just to study this topic so Mm -hmm. your point is true like it's a complex Mm -hmm. and interesting world and once you start opening your eyes to it. Like it's a never ending interesting Mm -hmm. conversation about how do we help John connect and be seen Mm -hmm. for who he is. Like, I think your point is the reason why both Robin and I are in 
because mm-hmm. it's is interesting and hard and challenging and the greatest of moments when all of a sudden this gentleman who has struggled to have people connected to him has a neighbor mm-hmm. that waves hello mm-hmm. so i think the answer is some of it is slow yeah. and really slow like a lifetime slow mm-hmm. And so my challenge, though, when I have that question is always, you're absolutely right. There are people that it's harder, but there are also people that it's not. Mm. And we, we like, it's not, a, you're right. Like, so I have this question all the time for inclusive schools. Well, how do you help the kiddo that, why, you know, how do we include a child who might hit all of their other peers every day? Okay, that's a really hard question. I don't, I don't know if Robin's got any extra insight on that, but like, it's, what's the answer, Robin? What are they yeah. telling you in school these days? Like, <laughs> but I, it's, a, it's a hard question. It so is. my question is though, that's fair. We can hold that as a super hard question, but at the meantime, I guarantee you there's a child in that class that is lonely currently mm. today. Like, so what about the existing children? Does that make sense? Like, it's like, we're like, well, what about this extreme? And I'm like, sure. the, the chat that that's a, that's an extreme. extreme. illustrate the point. Um, I want to pick up on one word you said was slow. That word comes up in almost every episode that we, every conversation we have is slow. Mm. And like getting to know people is slow. And that's really mm. like, that's the best way to get to know someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so opening up the time, mm-hmm. opening up the contact, um, the physical exposure, yeah, that those mm-hmm. sort of things will allow for the little seeds of friendship to be planted. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. To add to that, I guess at my work, our main focus is just for kids to socialize, to have fun. Um, we bake, we do crafts, we play Lego, and it's a good day when most of the kids play together. So usually there is one or two kids that we just can't get them to play in a group or other kids don't usually want to include them. And it usually takes weeks to have them all play together. And usually what ends up happening is one of the kids who is included in all the activities, when they decide to reach out to the kid who isn't, um, that's what usually helps for the other kids to start playing with them. So usually we always are like, oh, please, that there's the one kid who will reach out and kind of like incorporate the other child in because usually that's what works. But sometimes there isn't that person and we can't always be in the middle just playing with them. We want them to all play naturally. We kind of just facilitate it, right? But it is very slow. It's, It's trial and error to see what everyone likes doing and uh, but yeah, usually it's one, it's one kid who can get them all to play together. So. But I love that. But she's like, thank you, Rowan. It's not, it's, it wasn't, the, it wasn't you. Mm. Right. And mm. I think that's like the, the beauty is when we help kids connect with kids, it is like the million dollar answer. Like it's not mm-hmm. perfect and it's messy, but it's like mm-hmm. way better and long lasting and genuine and all of the right check marks and all the right boxes. So. Mm. Yeah. This, the whole conversation is like, it's so profound in that it has everything to do with all of our humanness. Like what mm-hmm. I'm, I need to go read this book again, Caramel. Like, <laughs> Cause just the sense of, um, yeah, 
what does, how do we form community? Because honestly, lots, so many of the conversations we're having about what it means to live in embodied faith and incarnate faith, trusting an incarnated gospel, something God connects with humans and it's fastened forevermore. You know, like there is something, it's all, it comes down to community. It comes down to personhood every time. And this seems to get really at the heart of it because you have, because with your work, there's um, attentiveness to the community. Sometimes we don't attend to it and it happens or in whatever formed or misformed, malformed ways it happens. Um, and in here we have, we're thinking through what are the building blocks of community? So it starts off with the, um, yeah, are you noticed? Are you seen? Are you, okay, sorry, what was it? I wrote them down. You're good. <laughs> I know. Missed or missed is the last one. Yes. Are you noticed or missed? Yeah. Noticed, known, and missed. And that is so good. And even for um, leaders, because I wanted to ask, like, how do leaders help lead in this way um, when we're, we're not um, rehab specialists, we're not any of those things, How we're just people who get up in front of a church on a Sunday or someone who's at the front of a classroom. But knowing that that is the building blocks and then what comes out of that, the long friendships after that, because I think sometimes we start like, like Zach was kind of going there, like we, we start with, we need to have the, somehow have the friendships, but this is the, the bowl that holds mm -hmm. it. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm just want to think about this and, and kind of just brood a little bit over, over some of this, the depth that this can go to and how we create our communities. Mm -hmm. um, and how we create communities that are the fullness of Christ's body, right? When we talk about that. Um, yeah. It is It is like the beauty of the statement always that we're, we're better when we all belong. Right? In the end, I know that sounds like a lovely, like, oh, bookend, but it's the truth of like. Oh, we, we just talked to Brad Jerzak, who wrote a book. Uh, his last book is called um, Incarnation and Inclusion. And like, it's all about like, let's understand that God accepts everyone and let's, yeah. let's embrace that idea because that's the only way we're going to be made whole mm -hmm. is if he, if he, we allow ourselves to be accepted and we yeah. believe that God accepts us and embraces us. Um, and I think just to like, just like give like a big yay to Robin in the education. Like I, I love the honor of being part of the disability field or being educated in it because it's like the lens that you will always see the world in. Mm -hmm. Like the second I have room for something that doesn't fit or is, is the second I recognize there's room for someone else, there's room for me too. The second, like the second I have like an understanding of, um, creating a space for a kiddo that might struggle to communicate is a second I create a space for someone else who's mm -hmm. struggles with money. The second mm -hmm. I create, like it's, it's, it's a lens that I think is um, an underrated gift. So I would encourage Robin, like you will find work forever and it, it will lead you, you will, and not just in the display field, but I mean like in life, like I think mm -hmm. the students that I've taught, like it's a mindset of understanding of like the second we create a space that says there's room for you. Wow. Is like yeah. it is, it's a great gift for always for every person. Yeah, I love that about 
my degree because mm-hmm. I think most of my friends, we all want to do something different after we're done. Yeah. I have friends who want to be architects, but they want to use a disability lens to be a better architect. And um, doctors, I have a friend who wants to be a police officer. And so they're using this degree as a stepping mm. stone to get there. But I love that we're all going to have this knowledge kind of in our tool belt to be able to include more people and to have more empathy. So I think it's awesome that we all kind of want to go in different directions, but we've learned like this. Affect the world. <laughs> yes, that's the plan. <laughs> yes, good. But yeah, I think it's awesome that um, it can be like, it can apply to anything. So anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, my overwhelming thought is like, why didn't, why wasn't this part of my seminary right like that's it's huge <laughs> not just seminary like i can yeah. encourage you like how about um ed- teachers being a teacher like so some really amazing post-secondary I, like again i am yay for post-secondary is all i've ever done but like there's lots of teachers five years of school to be a teacher and they're amazing and they've taken one class that's on all it was it was one, one. class Special mm-hmm. education in the regular classroom. Yeah. And yeah. I'm just sorry, like, it's not, it's, that's not fair. Mm. It's not, it's not fair. Like, how do you, so then, and you have lots of people who have life experience that has allowed them to be successful, but that's learning on the job. And I think I'd be like, what kid doesn't have some kind of like, right there, you just, mm. I just have no doubt we could get into that. But so I, I would, yeah, I mean, I think I'm super proud of all of that. And I think, I would just encourage Robin just to like stay the course because it's, it is interesting. It will lead you well. Yeah, I'm planning to. So <laughs> thank you. So good. Um, I think we'll just, we've taken up some of your time. You guys, thank you so much for joining us to do this and totally just have a random meandering conversation. That's our favorite kind. Um, but one last thing. Um, is there something that has given, we've kind of been, I found this such a hopeful conversation. Is there something that you have encountered in the last, even just what, since the pandemic's been something in your field, something um, kind of that's even fleshed out in your own life that is giving you uh, hope and that you'd be willing to share? I, um, I've been thinking about this a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, so ironically, so I, I do have a book that's out and has done well. And I actually wrote a second one and um, the listeners won't know this, but this is what it looks like because it was going to be published on the 14th of March. Oh, oh wow. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So that didn't happen because right. the world sometimes just says, wait, and um, there's lots of good and bad of that. But the ironic is this one is even more about just community building as a whole. So it's just right. like my, and it's like all the stuff that I had wanted to say in the first that I didn't. And it's just kind of a, it took a year. It's a year of work. Um, and I, um, I actually, I deeply grieved, not just the, the book is fine. It will, it will come when it's supposed to come, but just the concept of community building, all that I know to be true. So I've spent a lifetime building community for people and all that I know to be true. And then you're all at home. And like professionally and academically, like I literally went just, I just tuned out because I just, it hurt too bad. Like beyond my own family's grief, beyond like I just, as a community builder, I just was like, I cannot compute what this looks like and what I know to be true in the world and what now and is everything I've ever done for not. 
right? Everything, all this work I've ever done, is it, is it done? And so, um, like a month ago, I was like, it's over, it's over. And, um, but, but there is always a divine grace that gently nudges at you. And, um, I've been spending time, like, I think in fairness, like praying and listening about what does community look like? And my, what I know to be true and what I know the answer will be, and whether it's an epilogue or a third book or whatever, is that it's still there. Hmm. That community still exists in Mm -hmm. all of the beautifulness and all of the same ways Um, may not look exactly the same, but I would tell you that it's just as important, if not more Mm -hmm. than ever before that I think people today are recognizing isolation different and loneliness different, Mm -hmm. but also appreciating community in a totally different way. We had these amazing neighbors that like left bread on our door and wine. We have, um, an appreciation for people who buy you groceries. I mean, there are going to be a billion books written about how community loved each other in this season. And so that is, I think, slowly giving me hope. I will be honest that it was a little bit messy for me this last month about what that was like, what that looked like. But, um, the hope of that is renewing in me again, that it's there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So good. Thank you. Um, adding on to the community stuff, I, um, during this isolation period, it's been really nice that even people I hadn't talked to in a while, they check in on you. And I've actually talked to a bunch of people through FaceTime that usually I wouldn't really talk to as much, but it's nice that people are reaching out and making sure like, Hey, are you okay? I have extra toilet paper if anyone needs some. So, um, it's just awesome that you know, like people, um, like Harris said that people still are worrying about each other. And, um, yeah, like my neighbor the other day, we, we don't really talk to her as much, but she left us a letter saying like, Hey, here's my number. Like I live alone. If you guys need anything, um, you know, we can interchange contact information. We can watch out for each other. So I think that's awesome that we're connecting with people that we usually wouldn't. Mm. So some ways like yeah the pandemic has helped us you know mm-hmm. so yeah it's nice it's it's helped us kind of see out in ways that we didn't yeah. need to ever yeah not the not the virus itself but yeah right yeah the <laughs> the isolation yeah we we did the same thing we wrote letters to our neighbors giving our information and just and the, and they all wrote back within the day for sure mm-hmm. like eager right to connect and say and all of us saying like why did it take us this long yeah why on earth did it take us this long to just even make sure the people who are the closest to me (laughs) in the world Mm -hmm. (laughs) right um know my name and know my number (laughs) it is it is interesting Uh, like I although not exact but I live I intentionally we as a home intentionally are very connected to our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so we like, we literally like a, a lot of our life is literally the people in that I could throw a rock at. Mm-hmm. And we've made a huge effort, a lifetime of that 10 years we have invested into the people in our life. And it, it is, it pays back like in such shocking amounts daily that like, I literally couldn't tell you the kindness of the people around us. Cause you would just be like, well, I'm just moving on your street. You might say, yes, you should. Cause it's the best place ever. And everyone would want to live here. But, um, in the end, you know, it, it is an interesting season 
as a community builder to both grieve it and mm-hmm. relish what you know to be true all in the same breath. I don't know if that's complicated as part of the pandemic, but mm-hmm. that well, sounds you about right. Earlier, like when you walk down the street, what are people really eager to do? Mm-hmm. You know, the, mm-hmm. when you strip away all of these externals, or maybe not all of them, but all of a sudden we have to wreck it. We all, all that's left is people. Yeah. And we recognize like, Oh, like that's all I have. And it's the most important thing. And it's what and, matters. Mm-hmm. And th- like they're getting that education. They're mm-hmm. getting that recognition or they're, they're realizing these things um, mm-hmm. in a really yeah. dramatic so, way. And I think just to summarize probably like where your heart was in this podcast is then my curiosity and question is what about families with members who have disabilities? Are they able to or is there room for or are they connecting to part of this as well and so my hope is they are yeah it's yeah. and you know like in the end right as like what about what does that look like so we will find out and hear all those stories too but mm-hmm. oh you guys that's so good and a great um thought and challenge to kind of end on which i love that's the best part about it Our recording today has been done online as we are temporarily locked out of the Calgary Central Library and locked into our homes due to the pandemic. Music graciously provided by Jennifer Oikawa. Check out Escape Plan to Canada by the Jen Oikawa Trio. One thing we'd like to develop more of is a conversation with our listeners. Uh, If you'd like to join the conversation, find us on Instagram at the podcast made flesh no spaces or on facebook like our page and follow us get all our updates support us by rating us and reviewing us on your favorite podcast platform